Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, who's swirling his martini glass here in the studio. We're going to have to call in the John Darm and have him separated from it. <laughs> and we're going to be speaking with Robert Orr, who is our senior correspondent on industry surveys. He also works with Strategus Research Partners, so... Norbert always has some interesting information, and Norbert, you and I spoke before the show, and rather than pitch gloom and doom, um, we're going to be talking about, okay, what do we do when this is over? How you doing, Norbert? I'm very good. Glad to be with you. I just wait for Lou to get connected again. So, Norbert, you have spoken on a number of occasions to a number of audiences, that have gone through a traumatic event, uh, the tsunami in Japan uh, and some other uh, business-changing and life-changing events. And there's always a couple of things that you need to be aware of, one of which is you put together a document on risk management. So how does that play into today's picture? Well, what I'd like to do, if I could, Tim, is uh, just make a couple of comments. Like you said, uh, th- there's enough doom and gloom. There's enough. Uh, uh, there, uh, if there's any uh, good data, uh, positive data, I'm not sure I've seen it uh, that can come out of this. But I also know that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the old thing about half of what we know is wrong. We just don't know which half. Uh, yeah, right. And, and this is kind of one of those circumstances where we really just don't know uh, what, what's going to happen next from that. I, I would like to make a couple of comments just uh, about the economy in general, about a, a little bit of data that's available uh, and, uh, and where it's going. Uh, Good. Just tell us that uh, GDP is going to be 3.1, and we'll go from there. I just can't tell you whether that's negative or positive uh, <laughs> to do that. Uh, but uh, a couple of thoughts uh, on things that I've seen. One of them is uh, the Philly Fed just came out with their survey, uh, and it came in at 48.1, which really isn't that bad, but that also is uh, February data. That's not March data at all. And right. So uh, we can expect that things are going to look a little worse than that uh, from that. We also saw this past month that the Chinese, the two surveys, the uh, China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing Survey came in at 35.7, and that was down 14.3 points, and that was the lowest in the history of their index. Uh, the Kaishin survey did a little better at 40.3, uh, down 10.8, and uh, that was not quite the lowest that they've had in their uh, history. Uh, but that's a good indicator of, uh, I think, uh, that they're, they're a month to, to a month and a half ahead of us in terms of timing, I think, with the virus, and so not surprised by that. Uh, 
Japan came out with their survey uh, on expectations going forward, and uh, it's the lowest index they've uh, ever had uh, in terms of, of, of uh, expectations in, in the Japanese economy. Uh, so those things don't uh, don't really look that good. But there's there's a couple of things. That, one of them, I'm uh, sheltered in just like many others, uh, and self-imposed, and reading a lot of things, etc. And one of the things that really occurred to me is that uh, one, there's winners and losers in every economic scenario. Uh, and I think we always get fixated on the losers and should spend a whole lot more time on the winners. Uh, one of my neighbors has a packaging business, and uh, this month, his month he's ordering 15 additional truckloads of toilet paper. Uh, and so he's going to come out a big winner out of this. Uh, because of the expansion of uh, packaging, et cetera, and so on, that uh, that he sells and the, to the client he sells to. Very right. positive. Well, there's a winner for sure. Okay. Uh, and another thing is I'm amazed at how creative people uh, are, are becoming in all of this. Uh, and, uh, for instance, uh, I heard a suggestion that we ought to uh, – create a 50-year bond, and the whole purpose, some of us are old enough, uh, certainly not Lou, uh, to remember <laughs> U.S. savings bonds. I certainly that, do. That was started as part of the war effort uh, and helped finance the, the war from that, and so what uh, this suggestion is, a 50-year bond of this type so that we take the expenses that we have today for all of this cost associated with the uh, with the virus, and we stretch that out over a 50-year payback. And uh, would that be a good investment? No, not really. But uh, uh, there are probably a lot of people that would be willing to put some amount of their savings or investments or whatever into doing that, and so it would have uh, a more immediate effect on what's going on with the economy. Uh, my my feeling is th that would be a, a real uh, low pain, great gain type of uh, type of situation. So uh, we see that. The the other thing that I thought about as I was looking at this is I've got a, a slide that I do, and I'm going to switch to that real quick, like. Uh, uh, what are normal economic times? And it starts back with uh, 1929 and the Great Depression. We go through the affluent society, uh, oil shocks, Black Monday, savings and loan crisis, Y2K recession, just uh, Japan earthquake, uh, Europe's migrant crisis in 15 and 16, uh, the uh, ch change in uh, leadership in North Korea. My point is there's really no such thing as normal economic times. There's always something 
that's going on in uh, the global economy that causes things to behave differently and so on. And so instead of fearing that, we ought to plan for it. Uh, you know, Black Monday was caused by program trading. Uh, they still haven't corrected all of the issues, I think, with regard to to, to that. So anyway, big difference. And uh, uh, I hope everybody will kind of accept this in the vein in which it's offered, uh, that uh, uh, just when we think things uh, uh, are, are as bad as they can be, they might get a little worse, but they also have a better chance of getting a lot better. So we'll, we'll follow through with that. When we talked about so, I Go ahead. I, I was just looking for for the uh, the, the good news. <laughs> we, you know, we just went through uh, a hundred year uh, bullet point of all the bad things, uh, and, and you may have may have you left out two thousand eight, but that's okay. Uh, this one may wind up being bigger than that. So, um, and, and you're right. The economy is all the economies are always in some kind of flux of either going one way or the other. Uh, and, of course, uh, the news media always picks on the bad stuff to blow it up and make it really juicy. You know, the old, if it bleeds, it leads uh, ideology. Well, I, I, so that, obviously we see that, uh, uh, and there's always natural disasters, plenty of those to go around. Uh, and so on from that. So anyway, when we talked about the program today, uh, uh, this morning, I suggested that we uh, try to be a little more positive and look at uh, something that would be beneficial in this type of environment. And uh, that, to me, is risk management. Uh, uh, risk management uh, in manufacturing, there's a lot of risks all the time. And we have to to deal with the the types of risk, and so I thought that would be beneficial to to kind of frame that a little bit. Uh, I think we're going to make this deck that I put together a number of years ago available on the web uh, manufacturing talk radio website. Is that still the case, Tim? Yes, that's correct. So people can refer back to it. Sure. So there's some bullet points, and there's about 30 slides in it. Uh, uh, anybody has any questions or anything, I'd be more than happy to entertain those uh, uh, as a sidebar uh, after we get finished. Uh, but one of the things that, like I said, risk in business kind of fascinates me. Uh, and I really got this from years ago working in manufacturing where we stress safety. Uh, that safety, there was nothing as important as safety in manufacturing, and we had to address uh, that to our employees constantly from that. But one of the things I found in working various plants was when a plant manager had, was strongly schooled in safety, they tended to not separate health and welfare safety from business risk. Therefore, they were much less, they were much more risk averse in their business dealings because they had been schooled so heavily in, uh, in safety practices and so on from doing that. And it's good in terms of health and welfare, but from standpoint in business, 
If it's a low-risk business, it's also a low-margin business. It's probably also a low-profit business. So there's got to be some risk associated with that. So anyway, that, that's where that came from. So here's some of the things, some of my thoughts, and uh, certainly Tim and uh, Lou will jump in and uh, talk about any of this that, uh, that they want to emphasize. Uh, but we look at risk from the standpoint there, there's external risk that manufacturers have, there's internal risk. The external risk, uh, regulation is certainly one of those. We've seen uh, so much regulation added. Uh, frankly, one of the good things that may come out of this disaster that we love is the, the fact that we don't need as much regulation, we just need more common sense. Uh, and so when we see uh, barriers being taken down and uh, uh, processes that took 15 months to two, to a year and a half uh, are, are now taking uh, six to eight weeks. And so that, that's a real positive. Uh, Technology is an external risk. Uh, technology right now, in fact, I'm seeing a lot of warnings coming out about phishing uh, with uh, the idea of the coronavirus in mind and uh, trying to take advantage of people that way. Uh, management innovation, if, if management doesn't keep up with uh, innovation, then uh, uh, the business gets behind and, and suffers from that. And then uh, a term that's gotten uh, uh, coined in the last few years called black swans, and certainly the coronavirus is a black swan. I, I suggested to one of my associates that what we really needed was a black swan to b mitigate the black swan uh, that we've gotten. The odds are that difficult. Uh, if we look at internal risk, you, you have obviously the financial risk that, that you take, but also personnel risks. You have uh, information. Do you have the right information in the organization? Uh, operational risk, marketing risk, business structure, all of those are a factor in uh, what uh, uh, what we, we uh, recognize as our risk. And uh, they, I've seen that broken into four options. Uh, there's risks we accept, there's risks we share, there's risks we shed, and there's risks we insure against. And certainly all four of those are uh, uh, ways that we, we mitigate risk or manage risk. Uh, and again, the, the less risk there is involved, probably the less return that we're going to see. So, Norbert, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, from what I'm gathering from our conversation, uh, there are uh, two levels of, of risk and risk management that any kind of company would have, and that would be internal risk and external risk. And I, I've been in business a long time, and it, to me it always seems as though that the internal risk, for example, uh, is less problematic. Uh, the, some of the events that happen internally within your company um, are more controllable. It's those outside 
external black swans, as you call them, those are the ones that you get really slammed. You know, you get hit with a, a recession from 2008 to 2013 or 14. Uh, you get a you know the Great Recession. You get the you get a depression. You get uh, uh, trade wars. You get uh, you know all kinds of things that you really don't have any means of seeing it coming. There's always a clue, but we only know about the clue from not from hindsight. We don't know about it as it's evolving and happening. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. And, uh, you know, uh, I think, again, that's all the reason we need to be looking at our risk management and looking at uh, what our potential, uh, you know, if we had all sat down six months ago and said, let's list uh, the potential issues that might be a major problem to the U.S., uh, uh, a coronavirus probably wouldn't have been on the list. If it was, it would be that we expect uh, something similar to SARS or HIV or uh, something not a rapid-growing uh, uh, virus like uh, like this one tends to be. Uh, and, uh, again, dedicating some time to what that can be and having an early warning system is certainly uh, one of the things, the, the more, uh, the more uh, in tune we are with what's going on in the out, environment outside, the better chance we have of doing that. And I'm going to give you a few suggestions as we get into this on things that, that can be done. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the things uh, that, uh, that really inspired me to get deeply involved in uh, risk management, risk mitigation, was the uh, tsunami, nuclear meltdown, tidal wave, et cetera, uh, earthquake uh, that took place in uh, Japan in 2011. Uh, they kind of had, uh, if we feel like we've been hit from nowhere, uh, I'm sure uh, they would know what that feeling was uh, to an even greater degree than we do at, uh, at this point um, because of the things that happened. So I got interested in what, how do we, uh, uh, how, how do we deal with that? Dif different, uh, uh, different themes or different ideas require different strategies. Uh, first of all, but, you know, more than anything else, understanding the scope of the risk has more to do with what's going on, is what what can I, uh, you know, if I'm situated in New Jersey and I've got manufacturing facilities, uh, what's my power supply look like? How, uh, how long could I be out of business because of uh, a, a power plant interruption? That type of thing. So we, we try to, to gauge these things in advance, maybe uh, uh, look for temporary power that we could bring in, what, whatever it is. Uh, so, but, but your, your thoughts are, are right on, Luke, I think, in terms of internal, you, could, you can manage better, external, you, you uh, hope that you can 
manage when uh, when those opportunities come along. Well, I'll give you a perfect example, though, of uh, how you can perhaps uh, mitigate certain um, uh, risks on the external side. For example, um, it's, it's here in New Jersey, uh, they've closed down all the restaurants. Um, and uh, one of the governor's uh, aides uh, two days ago said, okay, Bergen County, which is the epicenter here in New Jersey, we're closing all the businesses uh, sat this coming Saturday. Well, not a lot you could do about that, but uh, thank goodness the governor uh, has uh, canceled that and said, I've got the right not to do that, and it's kind of mindless that you could just shut everything down. But the point that I wanted to make was, for example, um, our uh, facility is uh, near a uh, the Passaic River. And the Passaic River, when we get these extraordinary uh, rains, uh, they tend to flood. It was uh, six years ago we had a flood, and uh, our building, it's a high-rise uh, building where our offices are, and uh, the governor called out the National Guard and shut down the road and uh, everyone that uh, had businesses on that road, including people who have homes, were restricted from going to their homes or their businesses. So after that event uh, receded, so to speak, uh, we said, well, what's going to happen if we get another flood or we get another, another snowstorm that we're blocked out? So we, six years ago, created a plan B. What are all the things that can go wrong that could prevent us from going into our business? And we, we worked this out over a period of time. We ultimately came up with the plan B. So here we are uh, in March uh, 19 uh, to 2020, and uh, we're just waiting with expectation that the governor – may shut down effectively all businesses. But that's okay as far as our company is concerned because every employee in the company has the means to be able to communicate with every other person in the company from their remote locations where they're hunkered down. And uh, everyone's got printers and computers and all the necessary things to run the business. So here we had an event that happened. It was an external event. We came up with Plan B, uh, never thinking of having to use it. It's now been six years. Uh, we did a trial run to see if uh, all, everything is working, uh, and it is, and uh, we are prepared right now. And we took advantage of risk management on certain things that we knew could happen. Uh, we didn't we didn't expect it to happen, but, you know, we planned for it in any event. And I think this is something that companies are going to learn a lesson from. Uh, this is, uh, may yet turn out to be the worst uh, event that's happened in the United States or maybe globally, certainly in 100 years. Um, this is a lesson. And 
uh, hopefully everyone will learn by it and not just blow it off. Well, this was the hundred year virus. We don't have to worry about it. So sorry for telling the story so long, but I had to give you the background. You know, in the last year and a half, we've learned that the 100-year flood is really the 500-year flood. Right. And so people have to think differently from that. Uh, One of the examples I like to talk about, and Lou, that's a great story, and I congratulate you because you're you're controlling things that are very controllable but maybe weren't controlled in the past. That's correct. That's one of the keys. One of the stories that I really liked that I found coming out of uh, uh, the uh, uh, meltdown in in, uh, Japan uh, was Toyota. Toyota got caught. They had some models that they couldn't, that that were manufactured and they couldn't ship for nine months because they had certain pieces that were no longer, were not available because of factories that had been closed. Uh, right. So Toyota decided that they were going to implement that no matter where in their supply chain something happened, that they want to be able to, to be back up and running in two weeks. And uh, they don't want to go through that again. And so uh, they uh, started, they brought in their uh, 500 suppliers. Uh, to their factories and uh, told them the details of their supply chain and uh, how they wanted to uh, manage better production at 300 locations that were involved. As a result of that, Toyota asked these suppliers to hammer out countermeasures like diversifying purchasing, securing alternate plants, or piling up stocks of, of parts. Uh, and they did the same thing in the U.S. and Europe after finishing Asia. Uh, As a result, within four years, Toyota was looking to make half of the four to 5,000 parts used in making a car common parts that can be shared among different models. Uh, So that that was their way of, uh, of managing that. And, uh, and and getting a, a better response from doing that. It also, uh, you know, kind of uh, means we ought to be taking a look when we talk about the pharmaceutical industry, the number of things that are not made in the U.S. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people talking about that and a lot of emphasis. At least I hope there is. Uh, it's one of those things if we... If, if we don't uh, have that discussion afterwards, then we didn't learn anything from going through it. And uh, I think we'll find that a lot of the pharmaceuticals, uh, it was more convenience, it was uh, uh, more uh, labor content or whatever uh, that was involved in it that caused some of those things to be moved to, to start with. Well, hopefully we all all learn from, not our mistakes, but we learn from things that we didn't think about originally. Yeah. Let let me tell you about, uh, we're about to the point where we need to wrap up, I guess. But let me tell you about one more before we do that. And and this is uh, what I found was the best practice. Uh, Honda 
when all this happened, began to issue a daily report on operations uh, from around their system, and they provided that to all of their suppliers. So every day they told their suppliers what was going on, what they were working on, why they considered it important, and uh, asked for their help that uh, that we implement that. So uh, I think the best practice that I saw was just simply good communication. When you get that right, and I think it's one of the things the administration is doing right now, uh, is bringing in all of these experts every day and letting them talk to people and tell them what's on their mind. Uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's a real positive. So, well, I certainly think, Norbert, that the lesson to be learned here, even in the midst of this crisis, is we need to prepare for the next one now. And while we're doing those preparations, I think it will help all of the businesses across the country begin to work their way out of this one. Because if they're shut down for several weeks, a month or more, uh, there's going to be a substantial amount of pain. And uh, it'll take a while to work their way out and, you know, get into recovery mode from survival mode. So I appreciate you sharing your experience with risk management today because I think the takeaway is to help get yourself out of this crisis by preparing for the next one, Norbert. There you go. Well, again, thanks. Yeah, right, right. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate having you on the air with us. Uh, Lou, anything else you want to throw into the mix before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I, I think that this uh, I think that this topic, risk management, uh, really does require a length, lengthier and deeper conversation. And at some point when this is uh, all over, I would like to have Norbert back again, and then we can talk about from hindsight. And let's see what companies did do after this all got resolved. And that may give us some clues about future risk issues as to what, some, what these companies might be doing or thinking about doing in terms of a plan B. And perhaps their plan B will be able to cover more than one type of risk, uh, just like uh, Honda did. Uh, I am sure that Honda's cost on parts by making uniform parts for 10 different models probably saved them a lot of money and made each car more profitable. And that would be a byproduct of risk management uh, right. adjustments within their operation. Right, Lou. Right. So I think that we should have at some point, what do you think, uh, Norbert, that we have a risk management part two. Uh, I think it would be very appropriate uh, and a good use of uh, all of our time. I agree. And uh, thank you for bringing this topic to us. We haven't discussed this uh, as of yet. We're, we've been doing this, as you know, for numbers of years. But I think it's a, it's a great topic uh, 
particularly in view of what's going on uh, today, right now. And uh, so we'll talk about how people solved the risk that they went through this March 19th, 2020. Tim? And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Please visit us at msgtalkradio.com. And you can get some more information on both this episode and over 400 other ones that we have posted there. And we'll let you know when we have a follow-up with Norbert Orr for Part 2. And thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.